0: This is episode 147 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are Roasting Coffee and Storing for Long-Term Use, Realistic and Likeliest Preparedness Scenarios, and In at the Deep End. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version, with some commentary, of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily curation of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the Prepper website, podcast.com. Hey, so this is uh, day two of trying to do the, uh, the podcast and, I guess, the video cast at the same time, uh, creating that video. So um, the good thing about the, the podcast is that I can edit that out as, as I need to. The video, not so much. Although I can do it, but I'm not going to. So you'll see some bloopers at, at some point. Uh, didn't really have any yesterday, so that was cool. But I thoroughly expect some at some point some family members to come out or whatever. I mean, they've been really good because they they uh, I let them know that I'm going to start the podcast, so they kind of stay quiet. But sometimes they forget and they come out or they you know they're yelling out a question or whatever. And so uh, you know I'm sure that'll happen. All right, so I'm really excited today. Uh, I've got two new reviews from from iTunes, and uh, man, I was really truly blown away. And I uh, really truly appreciate it after getting that one from, uh, from uh, oh my gosh, I can't even read his name, Sprightly Nut or Nat. All right, so yeah, uh, I'm going to say Sprightly Nut. Right. Anyway, so two of them from, uh, so one's from Ted RX. He says, Great Prepper Podcast. It's very educational and inf- informative, lots of content. Really like the idea of this podcast as it gathers may- many different articles written by many different people and delivers it in an easy to consume format, a podcast thanks. Alright, so hey, thanks Ted. I uh, really do appreciate that that five-star review. And then I uh, got one from East Coast uh, uh, Michelle. I, uh, I thoroughly enjoy listening to the Prepper website podcast. I listen to every episode and I feel I learn something new with every podcast. Keep them coming and keep up the great work. Hey, thank you so much uh, for that. Um, and uh, I really do appreciate that you've been listening from the very beginning. Uh, I really do appreciate that. So uh, you know, if you when you do get a chance to do that, uh, leave a leave an iTunes review. It's really beneficial for the podcast. It helps to helps the algorithms on iTunes and gets the word out. So I really do appreciate that. I want to do a, a quick shout out because uh, uh, over at Beans, Bullets, Bandages, and You, they just did a quick little uh, article that uh, or post that their um, that their ammo storage article was featured on Prepper website on Podcast 144, and so they do, uh, you know, they, they go ahead and link to it, and all that kind of stuff, and then they talk about, you know, uh, leaving a review, and in, in, in all that, so I really want to say, hey, thanks so much, shout out to, uh, to you guys over there at Beans, Bullets, Bandages, and you, uh, appreciate, um, you know, the shout out, uh, thanks so much. Hey, uh, this is, um, of course, that keeps going on, uh, September, this is September 13th, And, uh, you know, the, uh, I keep talking about the back to the basics living summit, that free summit learning summit goes from September 10th through September 16th. And so you still have, uh, you know, time to do it. You still have time to actually, even if you listen to this, you know, uh, if you are familiar with the podcast, you know that I record the night before. So, uh, this is the Thursday podcast. I'm recording it on Wednesday night. So even if you listen to it on Wednesday night, you can go ahead and drop, uh, drop your name into uh, in, into the uh, uh, I guess to their when you go link to their page and uh, you drop your first name and your email and then you're able to uh, they will send you out an email and uh, they're running the, the summit or every day they're going from like five in the morning till or I'm sorry eight in the morning till five the next morning. So even if you subscribe today on Wednesday and you get that email you should be able to get, the wednesday uh the wednesday summit presentations but if not you still have uh you know the the 14th 15th and 16th you still have three more days to go ahead and do that and so uh, don't miss out they've, i've seen some of the feedback on on facebook posts uh, that, that I'm, I'm a member of yeah uh, they've been really good and so uh you know take advantage of that free learning uh over at back to the basics living summit and so I will link to it in uh, in the uh, the episode show notes and also in on the podcaster notes. If you uh, if you get that, you'll be able to link straight to it over there. All right, so let's go ahead and get to our first article. It comes to us from BackdoorSurvival.com. This article is about roasting coffee and storing for long-term use. You know, uh, I I love coffee, uh, but one of the things that you've got to think about is that that's going it's gonna run out uh, when you are. When the poop hits the van, so you got to think about all the things. If you're if you're a, co- a soda drinker, if you are a tea drinker, whatever type of you know whatever drink is your favorite is going to run out eventually. And those of us who are coffee drinkers, one of the the issues there is that you know it provides caffeine. If you drink coffee on a regular basis and you miss uh, uh you know you miss your coffee in the morning, you start to feel it with headaches and stuff like that. So, uh, you know, that's something to, to think about. And one reason why you want to store coffee for long term. And so this uh, post is going to talk a little bit about it. I want to come at the end and uh, make a few notes as well. So let's go ahead and start reading this one. Coffee is a vice that lots of us have in common. There are lots of people that don't drink or smoke, but they do rely on that daily cup of java to get them started and maintain energy levels throughout the day. Good quality coffee is not cheap when you go to the grocery store. Of course, good is relative to your own taste profile, so maybe you think some cheaper brands are okay. During a survival or emergency situation, coffee can be a major morale booster. Going without it when you are used to it can make life seem a little more bleak, and let's be honest, makes plenty of people grumpy and not necessarily the easiest to deal with. Roasting your own coffee is something anyone can do, and it helps reduce the cost of coffee on your grocery bill. At the very least, you can afford to drink better quality coffee if you roast your own at home. Green Coffee versus Roasted Not too many years ago, most people roasted their own coffee in small amounts at home. The reason for this is that green coffee beans have a a longer shelf life than roasted. As you might know, coffee that is roasted goes stale rather quickly when not vacuum sealed or kept in an airtight jar. Green Coffee Beans Sealed in Mylar Keeping coffee in unroasted form sealed in mylar with oxygen and moisture absorbers is going to provide the longest shelf life. The downside is that you have to have a way to heat beans to roast them when you get into that bag. Roasted coffee sealed in mylar. This is good for those that want ultimate convenience and like to roast a lot at once. Splitting the difference, some roasted and some not. There is an argument to be made for having some unroasted and some roasted coffee in mylar. The green coffee beans will be the coffee you have for the far out future, whereas the roasted you can have on hand for convenience and short-term emergencies. Coffee is an excellent barter item. Having some roasted coffee put back means you have something a lot of people might want. The average American keeps very little pack uh, put back, so coffee supplies might run out pretty quick. Unroasted is good for trade too, but let's be honest about how many, how much people like convenience and the fact that to roast coffee you have to have fuel and a pan to do it with. For bartering you might want to seal up some mylar bags that are no longer than, no larger than a quart or a pint. Smaller, small quantities can sometimes be nice to have sealed if you only drink small amounts of coffee yourself as well because you won't have a large bag open for a long time. Grinding. For trade, grinding after roasting and then sealing in mylar with oxygen and moisture absorbers is the way to go. If you store your coffee in whole bean form, roasted or unroasted, then I highly recommend you have a, good, a food grinder that is manual or at least operable with a backup power source. My husband and I definitely use a grain mill to grind coffee in the past, and that can be nice because it is a multi-purpose device during a large long emergency or crisis. Sourcing Coffee There are a lot of sources for green bean coffees. Here are some suggestions, but I encourage you to search around some yourself since there are just so many suppliers. You may be able to get a good deal from your local food cooperative, for example. Number one is fresh fresh roasted coffee. This is my favorite for buying our daily coffee from because I can get Bally Blue Moon Coffee that is certified organic and free trade for about $35 for five pounds. Use the coupon code 20P at checkout and a 20% discount on your first order. The one issue I have with this company is that they do not sell coffee in larger bags. At the same time, this coffee is sealed in a vacuum bag already for this price so you could just put it back as is. Number two is Java Bean Plus. For large quantities of coffee, it is hard to beat Java Bean Express. They have all types and price ranges of coffee and shipping is free if you order more than $100. dollars If you are a fan of flavored coffee or teas, they sell that stuff too. Choose from 5, 10, 25, 50, and 154 pound bags. You get a price break that increases the larger the bag you buy. If you are planning on putting back a lot of coffee for trade, you will be amazed how inexpensive it is to buy 20 pounds or more at a time. Prices start at just above $3 per pound. Organic versus Conventional I try to encourage people to buy the organic and free trade coffees because they are produced using higher standards and quality control measures. As a lot of my fellow preppers know, the better the quality of food when put back, the better they will keep over the years and maintain good flavor. There is also the issue of ethics in that free trade coffees mean that the person growing it is more likely to be getting paid decently enough to make a living for them and their families. Loss of weight during roasting one thing that needs mentioning is that you do lose some of the green coffee weight during the roasting process. So, if you buy four pounds of green coffee, then plan on the roasted quantity being less. The amount of weight you lose does depend on factors such as how long and dark you roast it. A good safe number to assume is a 15 to 20 percent loss. There are a lot of different coffee varieties out there, and I would not be surprised if the amount of weight loss could be influenced on a varietal and how the beans were processed after being picked, plus the additional factor of storage conditions and how long the beans have been stored in a warehouse or other storage uh, before making it to you. The roasting process. Like many do-it-yourself types of things, the process for roasting can either cost you a lot of basically nothing. A cost, a cost iron frying, I'm sorry, a cast-iron frying pan works fine for me to roast in. A roaster made just for coffee is quite expensive. I have a good gas range and that works well. Coffee roasting can be smoky and the smell can be overwhelming even if you normally find the smell of roasted coffee somewhat pleasant. A range hood is a must if you are roasting inside. A propane burner or camp stove can be bought for less than $30 and be used to roast in a pan outside without making your whole house smoky. Set off smoke alarms and create an odor that can last for more than a day. First get your cast iron pan really hot and then fill no more than an inch deep with coffee beans. Reduce to medium heat. A metal slotted spoon or spatula should be used to continuously stir the beans over medium heat. Keep doing this until beans start changing color. You will hear beans start to swell and making a cracking sound. Keep stirring and roasting until you get the desired level of roast you want. It may take you a few batches to figure out what you like so you might want to roast several small batches to different roast levels and do a coffee taste test. Sometimes if coffee is roasted too darkly it can develop bitter notes where there was more nutty and smooth overtones. When coffee is dark enough for you then transfer to a colander for cooling. Shake the colander f- over the sink or outside to remove any of the light and airy holes that some of the beans, uh, beans during roasting. Uh, if, you, if you're using a colander you will see it fall out of the bottom as you lightly shake. Grinding beans. It is very important to remember to let beans cool well before grinding. They are different, d- difficult to grind and the coffee clumps up in the grinder more readily. If you want to cool a few off for a pot, a pot sooner then just put a few in the fridge for a few minutes. This is what we do if we forget to roast and want a pot of coffee more quickly in the morning. Green coffee beans is he- in heated cast iron pan. I use a 14, and he's talking, he's referring to uh, uh, pictures that he has here. Uh, I use the 14-inch Lodge cast iron, usually just because it does a lot of coffee at once. You can see that they get a little bit brown on the edges as roasting starts to commence. Beans approaching a medium roast after being continuously stirred with slotted spoon. So again, he's referring to uh, pictures that are here. So you get an idea of how they're roasting and the colors that you'll see. Um, Let's see here. Transfer to colander for removal of chaff and to cool. Coffee beans do not grind well when really hot. Roasting on a grill. If you have a propane grill, then you can roast a bunch of coffee. I mention this because a lot of people out there may have a grill already set up and ready to go so they can use that instead of buying a propane burner. There are a lot of ways to do it on a grill from using a popcorn popper that has a crank style stirrer to using a rotisserie and drum over the propane flames. YouTube has a lot of videos that show you how and since there are plenty of methods and different grills out there you should search around and watch a few videos. Trying out different varieties. There is a whole world of coffee out there and I encourage you to explore it. Some companies may offer samplers or at least individual sample packs of different green coffee, so you can try them out before buying a larger bag. Unless something is actually wrong with a coffee like mold or bugs, then you cannot return a bag just because you don't care for the flavor profile. Reading descriptions and reviews carefully can give you a broad idea of what to expect in terms of flavor so take the time to do your research. Adding up to Savings Just as an example, I'm going to break down your coffee savings based on buying a 50-pound bag of Colombian Organic and Free Trade Coffee Beans from Java Bean Plus. The cost of a 50-pound bag is $274.50, shipping included. 50 pounds of green coffee with a 20% loss during roasting will yield 40 40 pounds of coffee. This is a high loss rate, so you will likely get more. 40 pounds of roasted gourmet coffee at grocery store prices of 10 to $15 per pound is 400 to $600. This means you are saving 125 to $325 or more by roasting your own. Of course, you need to add in the cost of Bilar bags and other storage supplies, but that is not that much. I think most people will save closer to the $250 or more mark because I don't think the maximum loss happens that often and it is pretty hard to find organic and free trade coffees that is roasted for ten dollars a pound most of the bags you get at the grocery store are 12 ounces let's do the math for the cheaper conventional Brazil coffee at four dollars per pound or two hundred dollars for a fifty pound bag forty pounds of coffee at eight dollars per pound is three hundred and twenty dollars so you would save about hundred and twenty dollars the savings is not as no- noticeable with the more conventional coffees but you might notice a very big difference in quality Having coffee put back means less time at the grocery store and you don't run out at, at a bad time. I am not a fan of spending a lot of time at the grocery or searching the aisle for a deal. Also, it is hard to find the variety of coffee we like best at the grocery store. Items that you know you are going to use all the time like coffee are nice to buy in bulk and reap the rewards and convenience. No more going to the kitchen only to discover you forgot to buy coffee. This cuts down on those fancy coffee visits to Starbucks or similar. Investing in a good coffee maker or espresso machine and roasting your own can save you a lot more than you realize if you find yourself indulging in coffee at baristas very much. That fancy coffee drink can be made at home for very little and there you are paying $4 at least. During that 5 days a week, which means you are spending $100 a month or $1,200 a year on fancy coffee drinks, what would you do with an extra $1,000? $1, $1,000. If you like to drink coffee during the day then a good thermos will do you well and keep it tasting great. Coffee making during tough times. A French press. This is a classic device for making coffee. Pour coffee and boiling water into the press and allow it to steep as desired. Press the grounds to the bottom. In my experience it takes more coffee to get a good result than with a traditional drip style coffee maker. The French press gets points for being cheap and easy to use under any circumstances where you can at least boil water. The presses tend to be small though, so if you are in a household with heavy coffee drinkers, then you might want to have two of these. <clears throat> they are made of glass a lot of the time, so under very cold conditions, don't go adding very hot water to a cold press or it might shatter. There are French presses made of other materials if you are very concerned about this. Number two is a 12-volt co- volt coffee pot. If you have some extra 12-volt or solar power to throw around, then you can use a 12-volt coffee pot. There are a lot of different varieties of them out there and they are not expensive. Road Pro makes a model that has a 16-ounce metal carafe and uses a standard car charger style style plug-in for about $30 uh, as of this writing. Propane Burner Coffee Pot by Coleman. I am intrigued by this idea. While this coffee pot is heavy for backpacking or anything like that, I do kind of like the idea of a 10-cup capacity. This coffee pot sets on a propane burner. You pour water in the reservoir like any other drip-style coffee pot. The filter is reusable, so no need to pack those basket-style filters. When water boils, it automatically starts making your coffee. I have not used this method, but the reviews I have read have been excellent, so this might be worth it to have when the power is out or for big camping trips. Um, and so it has a link here for for cost i think all of them have no not all of them have a a link for cost but the the camping one does and the fourth one is a classic percolator a good old fashioned percolator pot is another option and it will work with any heat source you have the filter is stainless and reusable and at twenty dollars it is hard to beat this for making coffee just about anywhere the one above is made by farberware and holds eight cups i like that it is a I like that it is all metal mostly, so no worries about breakage. Getting started with home roasting. Here are a list of supplies I recommend having for roasting. You may very well have all or at least a few of these already. Heavy-duty pan made from cast iron if possible. No larger than 14 inches if you have a standard size gas stove. Any larger and you risk having too much uneven heating going on. A cast iron dutch oven works well too but make sure that you only put beans 1 inch thick or less. It is tempting to put more but it is harder to get a consistent and less bitter roast. Slotted spoon or spatula, I use metal since too many plastic utensils are not as heat resistant as one would like. A colander and a coffee grinder. Besides that you need your heat source and some uh, green coffee beans. Once you get used to roasting your own coffee it will just be part of the household routine. Have you any other tips for roasting or any projects that have made your coffee roasting experience better? Please comment below. All right. So, uh, let me, let me give a couple of things here. First of all, uh, I'm a Folgers guy, right? And so when we buy coffee, we go to Sam's and we, we buy, you know, the big one and we just put them, put them back and we, so we stock those back. But I do have uh, green coffee and uh, I have roasted green coffee. So, uh, years back, I uh, traded some advertisement with, uh, with the guy who was, selling, who was selling green coffee. And to be honest with you, I cannot remember his name. I wish I remembered his name. I might need to go back and, and do that and, uh, and pull him up. And, uh, and if I find him in my email, I will drop him in the show notes. And so you can at least go check out his uh, his website. He was a really friendly guy and uh, you know we traded off advertisement for for coffee and actually coffee beans and equipment and he sent me a nice little setup i mean there was a good uh good selection of different kind of coffee beans he sent me one of the popcorn uh poppers to uh to use he sent me a uh a grinder uh you know uh, a hand a handheld grinder so you know if we were ever in a situation where we didn't have electricity i could still have coffee and uh so for me the the big deal there was well okay let me say this So I I did make uh, coffee, and from time to time I will pull some out and and do that because the coffee was really good. It does taste a lot different than Folgers. Uh, I will tell you that. I will admit that. It was really, really great. And uh, so from my experience, what I found what worked well is I did two batches. I did one that was a little bit darker roast and one that was a little bit more medium roast, and then I mixed the two together, and uh, I roasted that, and it came out perfect for us the time when i just did you know a darker roast i didn't like it as much and the the time i did a you know a lighter roast i didn't like that as much but it was interesting um this article doesn't talk about the the two crackings there's like two crackings Uh, That you go through. So there's one cracking, and then it kind of settles down a little bit, and then there's another cracking that you wind up uh, going through. And uh, so you're paying attention to that. There's, it is going to be smoky. It does smell. Uh, I did mine outside on my burner on my uh, on my uh, on my gas grill, Um, the same one that I I I had uh, where I made coffee during Hurricane Harvey. So I did it there. Now, uh, I poured our, uh, you know, so there's a lot of the, the, the holes in the shaft and all this stuff is going and it is flying up sometimes, uh, but it doesn't go, I don't know if a colander, uh, would, would actually get rid of it, um, as easy. You might wind up finding some of those holes still in the coffee. Uh, what I did is I had it in a big strainer bowl and I use this mostly just to kind of cool it off. But well, what I did was I uh, had the strainer and I had a fan uh, outside and I let the fan go and I just slowly poured the coffee uh, into the strainer. It's a big strainer. And uh, as I did, the, the holes in the shaft and all that stuff was just blowing out. And uh, so I didn't have any of that, that uh, left over. So uh, that's probably the way that I would always do it just to make sure that I don't get any... Um, you know any of the holes and stuff uh, left in the coffee. Well, one of the videos that I remember seeing online. I mean, I watch videos for everything. So if I was before I went out there to roast my coffee, I watched this video and this guy did it on his uh, on his stove and he just kept blowing. Uh, he kept blowing uh, the the roasted beans while they were cooking. But the the thing is that this stuff was going everywhere, all over his. Uh, uh, it was very very messy. So it was probably going all over his his kitchen counters and stuff. And so I. I don't know why he was doing it that way, but uh, maybe it was just for the video sake. But uh, I did i wasn't bothered about it going everywhere outside. Uh, so uh, again, I used a popcorn. Uh, I used a popcorn um, a stir to, to to roast it in, and it worked really, really well. Uh, you know, again, it, it is good coffee, but uh, I, I don't do it all the time. Uh, so I do have that green coffee. I have that put away. Uh, some more green coffee that I have is uh, I've ordered it from CampingSurvival.com. Now uh, they are advertisers over at Prepper website, uh, so this isn't like an advertisement for them or they they're not sponsoring uh, this at all. But uh, you know I have purchased green coffee from them as well, and they sell it in cans, and so you can it's just canned already and it's good to go. And so all you need to do is roast it. I don't know about roasting the coffee and then putting it in mylar bags and saving it for long term use. I don't know if I would do that. If I was saving it for long term use, I would store it green and then I would I would roast what I needed. Uh, because I, you know, the minute that you start roasting it, that starts to, uh, you start to have, uh, the breakdown of it and you start to lose the quality of it. And so I know this article talked about that. I don't know if I agree with that completely. I mean, I'm not a, you know, a green coffee roasting connoisseur. I want to mention that this percolator that he has here, I think is the best option. That's the one that I have, uh, for, for, uh, for for times when I don't have, uh, electricity and it has worked well and it is a good one. Uh, $20. I have the same exact exact one. I have promoted this one on Prepper website uh, through Amazon, and uh, I I recommend this one. It works really, really well. Uh, I did mention it in my article when I talked about Harvey uh, that you do need to, uh, you know, one of the little tricks is to, uh, when you're doing it on an open flame, like the burner, uh, because the flames were coming up around it and stuff like that, it did get uh, you know, it did get black with, uh, you know, with the with a fire, and so a Boy Scout tr- uh, trick is to put a little small layer of dish soap on there, so when you wash it off, it comes off easily. But anyway, I I think if you are a coffee drinker, and you are interested, you know, uh, well, if you're a coffee drinker, and you think that there might be a time where things are going to go, you know, to poop and the poop is going to hit the fan, uh, you might want to store some coffee, and uh, you might want to have a plan for uh, when you get into that green coffee and you're roasting it to slowly start weaning your way off of that because I think that's the biggest thing uh, that's going to be going on is to make sure that, you, uh, that you're able to do that, is you're able to wean yourself off. All right, so uh, that's uh, over at Backdoor Survival. There are a lot of links here. You want to go check that out, and you want to... Uh, uh, go visit them all right so let's go ahead and go to our next article of the podcast all right our next article comes to us from modern survival and this article is entitled realistic and likeliest preparedness scenarios i really like this article um, talks a little bit more about bringing it down to reality or bringing preparedness down to reality um, you know it's over at modern survival blog they have a big community over there there's 78 comments and so uh, you know, you'll know uh, you get a lot of information here. And then I guess, uh, uh, again, a lot from the community, they'll uh, uh, provide a lot of information as well and insight. So uh, let's go ahead and read this one. It's tempting for those of us who author survival and preparedness websites to gravitate towards worst-case scenarios when we write articles. Yes, it's more dramatic, scary, and shocking to focus on Armageddon. It can be fun and interesting to de- delve into the follow on survival after such an event. However, how likely is it? Truly devastating SHTF scenarios such as the following are hopefully significantly less likely to occur than other scenarios. EMP resulting in electronic infrastructure destruction and grid down, a CME from the Sun taking out the grid, pandemic spreading worldwide with high mortality rate, nuclear holocaust, supervolcano planetary devastation, you get the idea. I'm not saying that we should not think about or prepare for these catastrophic possibilities. However, I am suggesting that logically they are far less likely to occur than many, many other types of disaster scenarios. The question is, what, uh, what are some of the most realistic and likeliest disaster scenarios that preppers should prepare for? Preparedness for natural disasters. While this is one, this is often regional and geographical dependent, it sure seems like a more realistic or likely thing to prepare for. And maybe it's the most categorically likely type of disaster we might face on day, one day, sorry. Hurricanes, flooding, tornadoes, earthquakes, forest fires, major snowstorms and severe weather. Take a look at the recent Hurricane Harvey and now Hurricane Irma. These two events, back to back, are likely going to end up being the costliest set of disasters in U.S. history. As I write this, Floridians have emptied store shelves A large number of gas stations have run out of fuel, and people are scrambling for any remaining supplies, and this began to occur a week before Irma hit. While the hurricane is just days away, the just-in-time inventory and delivery systems could not keep up. If people had already been prepared, this wouldn't have happened, but that's just the way it is. If you live near the coast where hurricanes sometimes hit, well, wouldn't it be wise to be prepared for that? Same goes for other natural disaster scenarios natural disasters occur all the time why is it then when the forecast calls for a major weather event does everyone run to the grocery store and clear out the shelves wouldn't it be smart to simply keep enough extra at home all of the time preparedness for health issues one's health is very often taken for granted very much so however when something strikes it becomes crystal clear how our priorities change ranging from just being sick for several days to a week-long flu To a broken bone, accident, hospital stay, disease, or worse, failing health can be disastrous. If we're holed up at home for a while, having extra consumable supplies and food could save a lot of aggravation. Take care of your body. Most of us, quote unquote, know what we should and shouldn't be doing in that regard. Sometimes it takes a very long time for negative effects to appear. But when they do, it could be quite bad. If you're into preparedness, do take care of yourself first. Be as healthy as you can be. Preparedness for financial turmoil. This is an area that I wish more more people would understand. I see it all the time. People who live on the edge, paycheck to paycheck for nearly, uh, I'm sorry, paycheck to paycheck or nearly, while they run debt up the wazoo. I'm not talking about those who are poor or struggling to make ends meet. I'm talking about the middle class who live beyond their means, although they don't think so. Financial security is important. Just because you or you or your spouse can afford to pay the loans for your big house, two newish vehicles, and other such things, doesn't mean you're living within your means. It is important for personal financial stability to live well below your means so that you have a nice big comfy cushion. Why? Because poop happens and you never know when you might need to draw on a big chunk of cash for something. Investing for your future so you can have some kind of retirement Saving for a rainy day, so to speak. And when you're not in debt, you really are liberated. It's an amazing feeling. Other realistic or likely scenarios for preparedness? I got the ball rolling. Let's hear from you. What do you think? Garden crop failure, economic stock market crash, personal infrastructure failures. And so again, uh, there's like there's 78 comments here uh, in in this article. I think I said 76 earlier, there's 78. Uh, To go check that out, and uh, you know, there's always good information in the the comments. You always want to check those out. But I really like these, uh, this idea. You know, we do. It's sensational. I know that when I post um, an article on an EMP uh, or CME or solar flare like that, that is going to get a lot of hits off a proper website. I know that that happens because I can see it in uh, the analytics. You know what people are interested in. People are interested in the big ones, right? The, the big scary ones. But in reality, what like what Ken is saying here, it's the very truth. And we have there are some that are that we should be preparing for that are more likely. Can the other ones happen? Yes, there is a probability that those can happen. A lot of them people say a lot of these things: the solar, the uh, the CME, EMP, pandemic, uh, you know, super volcano. It's not a matter of. Uh, you know, if it's a matter of when uh, those things can happen. You know, supervolcano could be thousands of years from now if the Earth survives. You know, uh, you know, we don't kill ourselves first. Pandemics. I mean, we are always very close and probably overdue for a pandemic to uh, to be a real uh, a real you know global killer here. And nowadays, because of uh, our transportation, they can spread so quickly. And we know that the last time Ebola hit. We know that we weren't, we weren't prepared. I mean, even the, the doctor that was up north treating the one and they came down to Dallas and they rode in, in the airport or in the airplane and all that kind of stuff. I mean, we weren't prepared and, and uh, they weren't prepared to uh, handle it with all the equipment that they have to put on. Uh, just reading some of the, just reading how long it takes to put on the equipment to be safe. Um, I mean that was it was crazy and you know that those things weren't happening when they were starting to treat people with Ebola and stuff. and so if it was on a wide scale uh, it just it wouldn't have happened. And so uh, we know how easy that could just get out of hand. So we know that those are probable, but we have them I mean, we're just looking at hurricane you know Hurricane Harvey and Irma right now and uh, looking at uh, what's going on over you know in in the islands uh, you know with uh, with uh, you know violent, Violent uh, violence going on and people taking whatever they they can to survive on because uh, you know they're living on an island and things need to be shipped in and, and you know people aren't prepared there uh, so you know that's totally totally crazy and people can see that right away how easy things can get out of hand and so uh, you know preparing for natural disasters man I, I you know I wish sometimes that we didn't have the humidity and the heat that we have down here in in Houston but There are, uh, you know, one of the things that I would hate to get caught in is like a snow, like a blizzard or a snowstorm, and not be prepared. And you know that that has happened before, but, uh, you know, that's, uh, if I lived up North and, uh, when it started turning cold, I would definitely be putting in that, uh, you know, in my vehicle, I'd definitely be putting in that cold weather gear and uh, means to, uh, survive if, if I was ever in a blizzard or, uh, my car broke down or whatever. And, uh, so those are definitely good points there uh natural disasters so i think it's it's important for preppers to know you know the area that you live think about what natural disasters are uh are are, you know are possible in your area uh if you're you know big wooded area you're going to be dealing with possible forest fires if you're in tornado alley you got to know that you've got to really be ready when you hear tornado sirens or alarms You've to be ready to move. It's not something that's like, "Oh hey, I think I need to you know do something you're moving quick, right And uh, it's always good to be um, you know aware of what weathers what the weather is doing and things like that. Um, you know, being uh, <laughs> I'm just uh, thinking about this being a uh, a school administrator, you always knew those kids. That came to school whose parents weren't paying attention that uh you know that there was going to be a cool front or a real cold front come in by the end of the day so there was times where uh you know this happened all the time where the morning time it was you know a regular old day the temperature was normal uh but you know everyone forecasted this cold front come in and so kids come in shorts and and uh you know t-shirts and then by the time uh, they're going home. The temperature has dropped 20, 30 degrees, and kids are freezing. And so that's happened a lot. So stay aware of what's going on with weather. Uh, you know that's important. I I love the thing about health, and I think, and I've said this over and over and over again. I think that health is one of is going to be one of the big SHTF scenarios for people as we start moving forward because it doesn't look like. Uh, health uh, you know health costs are going to be coming down anytime soon it doesn 't look like there 's going to be any health care reform it doesn 't look like that 's going to happen it just it, it's going to get continue to get more and more expensive. Those of us who do have health insurance we know that that the premiums are getting more and more expensive. You need to have it because if someone gets sick or there 's you know uh, uh, God forbid there, there's something major happen, you know, you, you need to have that so you don't go bankrupt and you can get uh, the care that you need, but it's getting more and more expensive. Uh, so uh, being healthy and not getting to that point where you do need to go to the doctor for, st- for things that could be pre- prevented, uh, I think that's going to be a, a, a big thing. And so uh, I, I believe the herbal, the essential oils, the natural uh, things are, are going to be uh, important and people are going to want to learn more about those kinds of things. Um, but I also think that being proactive and making sure that you're healthy and you stay healthy, I think that's important as well. And then the financial thing. That is, I love that last um, that last thing that he said. It's it's really it so when you're not in debt, you really are liberated. It's an amazing feeling, man. I I you know we got out of debt a long time ago when we were younger. I'm very very grateful for that. We did the Dave Ramsey thing. But I can't imagine some of these people who are in financial crunches. And just like for Hurricane Harvey, there's people that are paycheck to paycheck, but because Hurricane Harvey hit, they might not have been working for a whole week, you know. And so, uh, you know, they're going to have financial issues. And now they're going to start dealing with, do I uh, do I pay the lights or do I buy food? Uh, or, you know, do I, do I do this or do I, you know, do I pay for that? And so they're going to be dealing with that. And hopefully, you know, they can, uh, you know, maybe, you know, find ways around it. And um, be a little bit smarter with their money. Um, and and you know, uh, like he said, he's not he's not coming down on the people. And I agree with him. The people that are you know are, are just barely making it. It's the people that are you know they think that they're okay. The middle class and the, the shrinking middle class that we have, uh, and they're they're you know having issues with uh, being able to uh, you know they're wanting to keep up with the Joneses and then they can't. Uh, you know, make their their payments, and then somebody loses. Uh, and you know what? I've known people like that that they're that they're making it, they're fine, they're great. Uh, they've got the nice house, uh, the really nice house. They've got the really nice cars, and then somebody loses their job, and then they're having to sell everything. They're having to downsize because they can't afford it. And uh, you don't want to be in that. Living way below your means is the way to go. So great advice over uh, by Ken over at Modern Survival Blog. I hope you get a chance to go. Uh, there's not a lot of links. Um, there's not any links actually in his article. But you, uh, there's, like I said, there's tons of comments that you're going to want to go check out. Um, it's always, always interesting to read those comments. All right, so let's go ahead and go on to our last article. Our last article comes to us from SHTF School. This is our SHTF School.com. And this is um, the website that, uh, you know, that. Houses all of Selco's. I've talked about him before. He's a, a survivor of the Sarajevo war and uh, that breakdown that went off uh, down there. And he just, you know, he talks about his experiences in a real SHTS scenario. And uh, so, I'm um, I, I going to. A lot of the times when I read articles, I try to, of course, because I, I read them ahead of time. I uh, I try to fix some of the things as I'm in mid reading sometimes. So, uh, really, when you hear me stumbling, um, sometimes that's that's me just trying to fix uh, maybe a word was misplaced or or whatever, double words or, or whatever. On uh, on this one, I'm going to read it exactly like it sounds, uh, just because you kind of get the effect, you know, that he is uh, he's not writing in his in his uh, native uh, language, uh, but uh, you know you kind of get that that effect uh, of it as well, and so. This one is called, this article is called In at the Deep End, and uh, he's talking about a situation, he'll talk about a situation that he, uh, that he experienced one time when he was in, uh, you know, in Sarajevo, and uh, I think it's interesting because he always, he's always talking about, there's one, you know, we, we look at the videos, we, we look at the fiction, we look at the movies, and it's uh, romanticized. Preparedness is romanticized a lot of the times, and it's not like that. And so, again, this is called In at the Deep End uh, over at shtfschool.com. Let's go ahead and start reading. There's a whole range of situations that look completely different in real-life situations than in the survival realm on YouTube. It is normal that you cannot bring full-scale of reality in training situation, but still, some things need to be shown more real than they are shown in usual shows over internet. I watched a few days ago a couple videos and read some stuff about safe river crossings in survival situations and noticed some things. I will mention most important common sense yes common sense again. First majority of those videos and articles describe river crossings in wilderness survival situations and while some of those are pretty good and gives you good advices about basic stuff like how deep, how wide, what kind of ground under the water, how fast, safest places to cross, etc. They are forgetting to mention urban river survival crossing. In urban river crossing there is a whole new set of things to think about like polluted water, garbage, and different kind of stuff in like a car wreck for example in riverbed that can give you a lot of troubles. Also, videos usually show rivers that are up to your waist deep or rivers not too wide so you can use fallen log to cross it. But just like with all other internet survival, one thing in those scenarios is missing, other people. If your survival situation will include river crossing in the middle of day in peaceful country settings where there is no single soul, with possible bad intentions to you, except you and only noise is birds, singings, etc. You are a lucky man, but most probably it is not going to be like that. Forget about videos of shooting anchor with rope over the river and crossing it like that unless you are SAS in good condition. In reality, most of us cannot do that. Also, most of the river in urban settings and lots of in wilderness settings cannot be crossed by fallen log. Either there is no fallen log or you do not have time to look for it or it is pitch dark or simply river is too wide for fallen log. Instead of looking for a fancy solution of survival rivers crossing immediately, I suggest you, just like with all other survival techniques, go from the start from the very basic. Check your survival plans. You bug out route, for example, and see what kind of rivers are there. Do not forget to include area that may be your secondary or tertiary choice for bur- bugging out. Remember that plan is only that plan. Now, see what kind of rivers are there on your way, what kind of riverbeds, what banks are. Remember sometimes what it looks like a good approach to river may be mud hell where you can at least lose your shoes if not even something more important. There are huge differences between wild river rivers and rivers in urban settings where riverbed is controlled and paved or similar walking through those rivers are different approach too. Good advice too is to think about bridge as a first and easiest crossing over the river. Take that as a start and then check possible pros and cons for crossing particular river over the particular bridge. In other words do not go and drown yourself because you try to swim over dangerous river just because you felt very survivalist while there is a bridge standing close without any danger of passing over that bridge. Forget being fancy, use common sense, and choose less danger in particular situation. Lots of techniques that works beautiful on internet turns out like into, poop, and mess in real life. And reason for that is simple. Most of the internet survival techniques are based on philosophical or fictional scenarios and cannot include all possible real life factors. Simply, reality can throw on you much more factors than you did not think about. Still, it is not reason not to learn and prepare for different situations. I can share with you my experience about survival river crossings. My experience is quite different and actually not smart at all, but I think there is lesson to be learned. It was around 3 a.m. and I was in the part of the town where I should not been in that time of the night, simply because I should be home earlier than that. I would like to say that I was there to trade, find food, scavenge, or fight it would sound more survival for the sake of this article and blog, but truth was that I was there to see a girl that I like a lot. On my way back, I found myself into the one-of-sudden raids. A 50-man group attacked the street, and I run from them through ruined houses and found myself on the bank of the river pictured above. I always kind of hated that river. I liked the river, but I hated how cold, fast, and treacherous that river can be. It was pitch dark, and I crawled downhill some 20 meters, through small willow trees and bush on huge stones that stands on a bank. No effin' fallen log there, so you know. <laughs> I crawled through something smelly and soft. I felt like all was rotten in that bush. I could see river, small waves were wetting my shoes, and I was standing on slippery stone, holding willow branch with one hand. Riverbed is mixed mix of huge stones and sand, and depth is going from 30 centimeters to 3 meters. Depending on size of stones, stones go very steep, so you can actually swim under the stone and probably drown there, or simply strange current and whirlpool will do that for you, roll you and pull you under the stone and drown you there, or simply throw you on the stone and smash your head. It can be dangerous river for experienced swimmer in broad daylight and swimming suit. I tried to see what is on other banks some 20 to 25 meters far, Tracer round flashes, reflects on my eye, and all I could see is darkness on other bank and something moving in darkness. Same willow tree or people with rifles, or maybe is my imagination. In that time and situation, seeing a guy selling popcorn on the other side would not be surprising how my imagination worked. I expected any moment that enemy would shoot me, so adrenaline worked hard. I had backpack with which was almost empty, a 22 rifle which was duct taped, two screws, that holding steel part together with wooden part were worn off so it was duct taped to hold it together, tobacco box and some 15 bullets in pocket. As I heard guys approaching to my place, I hesitated for a second or two, thinking what to do, then I put rifle over my chest and jumped into the river, and I immediately started to drown. Shock of freezing river somehow turned off my adrenaline surge, and my thought was I am going to die now. Next second river took me and rolled me all over and I felt my rifle sling is choking me. If I had enough voice and strength I would yell help to the guys that I wanted to run from but at that time I simply had no voice. Crossing that river was not swimming, it was drowning. It took maybe 20 seconds for me to get to the other side but it was way longer for me and I ended up some 100 meters downstream. Several times river throw me on big stones. I was trying to loosen my rifle sling all the time and when I finally managed to grab stones with my hand and stop the crazy movement I was not even sure am I on the same river bank or I actually crossed river onto the other bank. I was holding the stone for some 10 minutes probably then slowly crawled from the river. I was on the other bank. I was frantically holding rifle sling. The rifle was falling apart. Steel part was separated from wooden part. I lost my backpack, my tobacco box, too. I did not see from one eye because it was full of blood from being wound, big wound on forehead. Later, I figured I broke two fingers and ribbed two, but I was alive and on the other side, I had huge luck. Point of the story is that sometimes crossing the river may look much more complicated and dangerous than finding fallen log. And very often, crossing river is like a lot of situations on real survival. Be ready to leave everything and take just your life, or things that you like may pull you down and drown you. Or point of the story is to carry heavy duty trash bag with you all the time so you can use it to put all your stuff inside and try to swim. Then, all right, and then Toby. Uh, Toby is I think he's an uh, American that helps Selco with uh, what the website. Toby comment. Uh, without going into too much detail just now, river crossings are one of the subjects we cover in our field-based courses. It is surprising for us to consistently see folks have not factored this concept in at all to their plans and even when doing so struggle to often acknowledge the time sensitivity that in reality come with river crossings. If it is of interest, we can write a full article on this subject. Please put comments below with your thoughts on the matter. All right, so there are 16 comments in uh, on this article uh, that you might be interested in going to read. Um, they do have a, a course that you can be a part of if you're interested in taking that course over at SHTF school. Um, I think it's interesting that, uh, you know, he, he says, start with a plan and, uh, look at your plan, plan look at the river crossings or see if you have river crossings, uh, you know, in your plan, in your bug out plan. And, uh, first of all, if, if you can use the, the, the smartest thing is to use the bridge uh, But of course, you want to make sure that no one is guarding that bridge, and no one is on the other side that you know is waiting for you on that bridge. But uh, you want to you want to use that bridge and and think about that. And you also want to uh, do a little bit of recon, I guess, and and see where you would cross it if you had to. Uh, And then make sure that it's not during during flood season, uh, because then the river is going to be a lot wider than you think. And uh, yeah, there's always things in the water that you're not sure of uh, how they're going to. Uh, you know, how they're going to, uh, how you're going to react to it. You know, you don't know if there's a, uh, you know, there's a current underneath the water where it's going to take you, you know, what's going to happen. So good advice there uh, from Soko. I mean, it's always good to to hear his firsthand accounts and uh, what happened. I'm, I'm sure he lived a lifetime during that, uh, the, uh, the river or the, during the, um, uh, when, when Sarajevo was surrounded and his time there. Uh, the picture of the river is uh, it's a pretty pretty decent sized river I don't know if that's where uh, he exactly crossed or not I mean it's really nice uh, a place that you might even want to go visit but uh, you know again scary situation when you think about all the things that could happen and you think you're just going to get in the water and, and, and power it across and uh, water is very very powerful you know uh, one of the things they talk about during flooding is uh, you know you have this like one inch of water can move uh, move your car, and uh, you know it's very easy to uh, uh, to hydroplane and to go off uh, go off the the road. Uh, one of the things I didn't talk about this in my article, and uh, I guess I have the picture. I need to share it. Uh, in our neighborhood, when there was uh, we had big uh, you know we had big uh, you know people movers and we had boats and all kinds of things coming through. Uh, picking up people and and taking them out of the neighborhood if they wanted to be uh, removed uh, from the neighborhood. They didn't want to stay with their homes. They wanted to evacuate. Um, When the water finally went down and we finally got out, there was a big light pole that was completely just flattened over. And, uh, you know, like I said, there was big... um, uh, National Guard had big people movers coming in, and uh, uh, you know they they were they were big enough to not get flooded out or anything like that. And uh, of course the boats and stuff. So you wonder if it was one of those big trucks that maybe was turning down the street, and uh, because it was dark and it was at night, uh, they knocked over this post man. And uh, good thing there wasn't electricity uh, because it looked like some of the wires were exposed at the bottom. But I mean it's completely flattened uh, flattened out. And it's still there. I mean, you know, I guess the electrical crews are all over the city, uh, trying to put, you know, power back in, you know, certain places. So this is one of the, one of the things that's going to be just sitting, sitting there. It's got the yellow tape, so no one messes with it. But the, one of the things that eventually they'll get to, uh, but you know, uh, there's just so many things that can happen in water that you don't really think about it. Um, so you got to be careful with that. All right. So, uh, that's the podcast. Uh, that's, uh, for this, this evening, episode 147, or for the, for the day, the Thursday podcast, episode 147. Uh, thanks so much for being a part of it. Hey, if you get a chance, I'd love for you to share out the, the podcast. And we make it very easy for you on the website. Uh, we have uh, all the social media channels that you can just kind of click on and send it right to your social media. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, or Facebook, Twitter, uh, Pinterest, email. You can email it to a friend. You can do all that kind of stuff. Uh, you, you know, if if you're finding value in the podcast, and you think somebody else, you know, somebody else, or maybe even people in your social media accounts, uh, your friends, whatever, uh, would would like to listen to it, I would really appreciate if you did that. That'd be great. And then uh, again, shout out to the to the guys that uh, left the review, and thank you so much for that. And uh, you know, if you get a chance and you want to connect, I'd love to connect with you. You can hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram and uh, or you can come to the to the website the prepperwebsitepodcast.com and leave me a message on uh you know episode 147 with that choose to live a more self-reliant life choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind until tomorrow stay prepped and aware peace